Hi, it's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine Saint Clair. All aboard! Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I decided to make this one a blast from the past, like a real blast from the past. Jackie the Joke Man Martling is someone I have not really spoken to in quite some time since the Stern days, but he's been up to quite a few things since then, including a documentary and his book, The Joke Man Bow to Stern, which is actually pretty awesome. I'm going to be starting to read that. Um, you know, I kind of skimmed through it before, but it's Jackie. You know, it's got to be great. And he does such good comedy. But I feel like this is such a great time to catch up with him. I had fun. So check it out. You're one of the last people I thought I'd reconnect with Jackie, but Jackie the Jokeman from Howard Stern. And from the era when Stern was so cool to boot. We had a, we had a, a absolute frolic of a time. I was there for 18 years and I left in 2001 and uh, they hung on to uh, K-Rock for another five years. Then he went to uh, Sirius XM. But I was gone uh, by, at 2000, March of 2001. I was gone. But, you know, it's so funny, Jasmine, because all of those old shows are on YouTube and all these other platforms. And I get emails like crazy. From like 25, 30-year-old kids saying, I just discovered the Howard Stern show. I just discovered the old shows. You know, you're my favorite. The shows are so good from back then. So, I mean, these are kids. They weren't even born when I left the show. You know, it's really funny. It's kind of flattering, you know, because it shows that the, the silliness and, you know, it was smart and stupid at the same time. It just transcends time and age and everything. You know, funny and goofy is funny and goofy. You know that, you know. Yeah, but I think within the age of cancel culture that we're dealing with, people are looking for an escape. And they want, they heard about the 90s and how cool it was. We had trash talk TV. We had high drama on talk TV then. So it could yeah. be, you think it could be this whole cancel culture that's playing a part in this as well? Yeah, you know, yeah, everybody's trying to strangle each other. And it's, it's bullshit, you know. I've been, I've been, They've been giving me a hard time about my dirty jokes since I started in comedy in 1979. I said, Jesus Christ, I learned these jokes on the playground in fifth grade. So lighten the fuck up, you idiots, you know. But, you know, it's like people are set in their ways. You're not going to it's very hard to convince somebody to come over from anywhere. You know, so just whoever likes me, likes me. And if they don't, I, I really don't really care, you know. Well, you know, I, but I'll tell you, I don't go on stage and say, hey, I'm a Democrat. You know what I mean? I don't want to I don't go up on stage and say, hey, I'm a Yankee fan. You know, I go up and say hello because I want to keep everybody in the tent. You know, it's scary. <laughs> you can't have like views. I, I, I'm i a Yankee fan, by the way. I don't really like the Mets. Plus, that's like the first baseball game I went to. You know, you know, it's funny. I live on Long Island. And people say to me, how could you live on Long Island and not be a Met fan? And I tell them, because when I was a kid following baseball, there was no such thing as the Mets. The year that the Mets came, you know, the, the year they created the Mets, 1962, was at the exact same time when I discovered girls. 
you know, so baseball went out and women came in and that was that. And all of a sudden there were these Mets. I didn't know who the fuck are the Mets. I don't care. Mickey Mantle and the Yankees and then women. <laughs> it's so funny because I was at a collector's convention this past week and I got a, um, a Mickey Mantle signed baseball. Whoa. Well, it's, it's, it's actually, it's really, it's in a little case. The guy was just getting rid of the stuff. Oh, his wife's kicking him out of the house. So he's just getting rid of the shit. So I got it for 200 bucks. I have no idea what it's worth, but I have baseball cards. Oh, oh yeah, baseballs. You know, I, I'm sure that is worth, you know, what do I know? I'm sure it's worth a lot of money. I have, you know, he came on the show when he wrote a book. And oh. uh, I, in fact, in the whole history of the show, there were only two guests that I was responsible for. And one of them was George Clooney. And the other one was Mickey Mantle. And I didn't know him, but a real good friend of mine is, is was a partner in Mickey Mantle's restaurant. Mickey put out a book and he wanted to come on the show. So we had him come on as a mystery guest. And when Howard guessed, this is Mickey Mantle, he said, how did we get Mickey Mantle? And Gary said, I don't know how to tell you this, Howard, but Jackie did it. <laughs> it, was a, it was a real feather in my cap, you know, but that autographs book, I'm sure that's worth, a, you know, he, he's a superstar. You know, I bet you that baseball you got, I bet you it's worth a couple of grand. Seriously. Well, I bought a bunch of stuff from him because he told like, I felt bad for him. He looked really distressed. He had like a black bruise on his face. I'm like, what happened to you? So I, I don't think he was joking. I think his wife was literally kicking him out, but you should have seen all the stuff. <laughs> Oh man! So he's at it. He's just got all his. He's having like a, a garage sale at a, at an autograph signing. <laughs> it was at a collector's convention I just went to because I myself I um I deal with vintage jewelry, so I do all the really big vintage jewelry shows. And I was supposed to meet someone there to collect money, but I took half the money anyway and like spent it at this guy's table. I bought Lou DiMaggio, two Lou DiMaggios, Mickey Mantle. Wait, 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 wait. Lou DiMaggio is a good friend of mine. You mean Joe DiMaggio. Joe DiMaggio. Sorry. Duh. Yeah, Joe DiMaggio. Well, I'll tell you, Lou DiMaggio will be thrilled to know that he was banded about. You know, he's a real good guy. He's a great actor, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I have the two Joe, uh, two Joe DiMaggio's, Reggie Jackson. Um, oh, God, Mickey Mantle. They're like a bunch of things that I like. I'm just going to keep them here. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not selling them now. But I'll just wait a while. I, I love collecting things. Um, I will. I will give you the guy. You know this guy. Uh, you know, whenever they have these these golf tournaments, I play a lot of golf tournaments ever since I've been off the show. Yeah. You know, they have all these go golf tournaments, and then there's always a big buffet afterwards, and they sell all the sports memorabilia and show business memorabilia. And the guy that runs the thing, you wouldn't believe the prices they get for this stuff. I bet you, you know. I bet you he'd buy that stuff off you for a fortune or, or you could do it on on uh, consignment. But it'd be worth it just to come out here and, and go to one of the uh, you're in L.A., right? Well, I'm partially in New York and L.A., but I'm in New York quite a bit just for acting work. So I would come out to a golf tournament. I have a bunch of O.J. Simpson stuff. Oh, that you 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 would love it. That you would love it. And they'd love to see. It. And I always get up and tell filthy jokes. And it's uh, and we eat like pigs and we play golf. You play golf. Um, I could play mini golf. That that's close enough. You could you when I get to the green, you can take the putting. That's all. You know, yeah, they, they would they would love to see you. I'm gonna tell Bruce. Bruce is a Bruce Eagle is a real good character. I mean, Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle, the crap that they sell, they sell stuff that's signed by the fucking car parker. 
you know, so you can really? make some money, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I would love to go. I love doing things like that. And speaking of which, since you've been off the show, like the show obviously isn't the same, but we'll get back. We'll get to that soon. What have you been doing with yourself? I know you have your dirty jokes on TikTok. We talked about. No, but I, I, I was doing stand up uh, for four or five years before I ever sent my stuff to Howard Stern. I made a couple, I made three albums and that's how I wound up on his show. And then I created a niche for myself on the show. So I was there for 18 years. But when I left the show, I just kept doing my stand up. Uh, and I met this guy and I started making little joke products. And I got up to where we had like 15 products. I was making a lot of money with this guy. But like so many businessmen, he overexpanded and the thing went into the toilet. Like, it's totally frustrating. And then I had a radio show on on one of Howard's channels on Sirius XM for eight years. And, you know, and I, you know, I had money. So I was going to the Cannes Film Festival and Sundance Film Festival and traveling around. And, and my buddy books bands all over the place. This guy, Toby Ludwig. So we went to Japan and went to Brazil. So, you know, I had a lot of money and I, you know, I, I quit drinking, left the show and got divorced and moved into a house by myself on the water all at the same time. So it was a little rough going at first, but once things leveled out, you know, I've been, I've been having a free for all, you know, free for all for like 20 years. And I figure my money's going to hold out at least another month or two. (laughs) then I'm really screwed. <laughs> Want to buy some baseballs? Uh, I, I would love to. <laughs> At the cost I paid for them, probably. Well, yeah, because I mean, everyone always asks, like, so you're still going to do your stand-up comedy because that's what you did before you met Howard, and that's who you'll always be. I've never stopped doing it. You know, like the whole the whole year of the pandemic, I didn't work at all. But, you know, and I don't work a lot. You know, I work... Once a month, sometimes three times a month, you know, it's very, it's as simple as I'm retired until the phone rings and they call up and they say, you want to come work? And they tell me how much. And usually, usually I go, you know, it, the money's not, of course, nowhere's in the ballpark that it was, but it's still good. And I, it's a crime. You ask any comedian, it's a crime. You go up there when it's really good and the people are great. It's almost like you don't even care about the money because it's just it's what you do. You know, I go up there and make them laugh their balls off for an hour. You know, I'm, I'm in heaven for a couple of days. You know, it, it may be shallow and it may be insanely stupid. But, you know, you get to a point in your life where if you do something that feels good, you do it again. You don't say why, why, why? You know, you get laid. You don't walk around saying, hey, why was that good? Well, you just do it again. You know, like, come on. You know, it's, it's simple, simple human math. <laughs> Who are, some, who are some of your more memorable guests that came on to Stern during that whole era when it was in its heyday? Oh, you know, beyond beyond the amount I could count. I mean, Fred Norris and I loved when Pat Cooper came on. I sat knees to knees with James Taylor as he played four songs sitting right there with us. Uh, when we're in London at the uh, at the Prince's Trust concert, me and Howard Roberts sat there and the Bee Gees sat across from us getting interviewed by Howard and sang a few songs a cappella, like two feet from me, you know, and um, stuff like that. You know, Joe Walsh showed up in his underwear and Sam Kinison walked in full of coke with half of the comedians from Los Angeles. It just never got old. It never, ever, 
ever got old. There was no people say, well, who was your favorite? There was no favorite. They were all, they were all fun. You know, the, the morons were fun. You know, the whack pack. I actually created that name, the whack pack. All those idiots that used to parade in, they were great. You know, it was, it was a, it was a circus. It was a revolving door of insanity. And, um, it, it just never got old. You know, people say, oh, that must have been so great with all those naked girls. The naked girls were probably the least interesting thing. <laughs> you know, most of those girls, you know, everything happened. Everything he talked about was real. But he would exaggerate. And the one thing he mainly exaggerated about were the women. I mean, he'd tell people this girl sitting here is a 10 and she was more like a two. I mean, these girls would have breast implants that looked like the doctor was on the phone when he did the operation. Like me like and Fred wouldn't even kids. look up. Like, oh, yeah. it was just horrible, <laughs> you know. But but it never got old. Never got old. Yeah, I always thought it was like a circus. I grew up listening to Stern, so I listened to um, K Rock. I used to trade in my albums to like finally get a new album. So I got Cream Wheels of Steel back because mine was scratched up. So going on his show, I was like, holy shit, he sent me that Wheels of Steel album. This guy is cool. But <laughs> I mean, I don't think he was always the same person on air. Do you listen to the show now? I, I have. I never listened to it when I was on it. I never listened to it when we were on vacation. I just have never, ever tuned into the show. You know, I, I get emails from everybody in the world. Oh, bullshit, bullshit. But I don't listen to it. There's no reason to. I didn't listen to it when it was good, you know, unless I walked into somebody's house and they were listening to the best of, you know, it was a great story. I went to uh, Hollywood to visit a friend who uh, was George Clooney's personal assistant. And she took me to Warner Brothers to show me the set of ER. And they were making a movie called The Perfect Storm at the time. And we walked around Central Perk, the set for friends. You know, it was real exciting. And we're walking along. She says, oh, I got to introduce you to the girls. And we walked over and coming from the trailer, I heard my laugh. I heard my screaming laugh and I heard the show. And we walked up the stairs and it was Juliana Margulies and uh, what the, who, who was the black girl? The, the two girls from ER, you know, they were there and they they were sitting in their trailer between takes or between whatever. And they were listening to best of, and they were, they were literally as excited to meet me as I was to meet them. That might, might've been the highlight of my life, hugging those two, you know, Oh my God. You know, it, and, and, that, and that's probably the most I ever listened to the show. Gloria, Gloria. What the hell's her name? Oh, I hate myself for not knowing it. The lawyer. Glo oh. Gloria Rubin, Gloria Rubin. That was the, that was the black girl. That were two, they were uh, the nurses. Uh, uh, Juliana Margulies was like Clooney's first girlfriend on ER. Well, I mean, my wife and I listened to ER. I mean, watched ER religiously. So to be there was just, you know, just exciting. You know, every, everything, everything that happened, you know, when the show got syndicated in 1986 to Philadelphia, that was a big deal. And then as, as the show added markets like Los Angeles and then Dallas, Chicago, Boston, it, it just, you know, New Orleans and Miami, the, the, the thing just went to the moon and nobody went anywhere except me. I would go do stand up. So I, you know, they, I'd be in Las Vegas. I'd be in Chicago. I'd be in Denver. I'd be in L.A. So I got to meet everybody. I was like the ambassador for the show. And but it destroyed you, you know. 
working from, you know, four o'clock. You know, I get up at four and work from six to 10 in the morning. And then it's finally the weekend, time to relax. And you're on a plane going out there, but they're dangling money in front of your nose, which is, you know, one of those gigs was more money than I had made in stand up before I ever met the show. So you don't say no, you make hay while the sun shines. You know what that's all about. You know, oh, big just- time. It's fun. I mean, you have to, I mean, you're only going to live once and this is what it is. So if we're not going to do it, then you just want to like sit around and just eat, just let the wave go by because you don't know what happens after that wave is gone. No, Where's- no, this, this is not a dress rehearsal. You got to do it now. Right. So I, I know that you've done a lot of stand up. So I met George Carlin once on a plane who was really cool. <laughs> who are some of your favorite stand ups to work with? Well, <clears throat> since I was a little kid, I've been a joke teller since like second, third grade. I started remembering every joke I ever heard telling jokes to everybody I knew. <clears throat> so I was, I'm not really a comedian. I literally get on stage and tell jokes. So I was one of these guys that, you know, was a huge fan of comedy. Like me and my partner, I played in a band and we told jokes in between songs. So I had all the old Red Fox albums and I loved Red Fox and I loved Henny Youngman, but I liked watching, you know, uh, Red Skelton on television and stuff like that. I wasn't a big stand-up guy, but I mean, I was absolutely in love with Rodney because Rodney did jokes. And then I wound up selling him some jokes and traveling with him a little bit. And that was like, you know, the highlight of my life. But I wasn't somebody that really, you know, you get like a a Chris Rush album and it's really good. You listen to it, but then you toss it. You know, I would never go back and listen to it a second time. You know, there were guys that I know that, that, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld and Peter Bales and these guys that would listen to that Robert Klein album over and over and over. And obviously, obviously it worked, you know, but um, as far as I I just like to laugh and and not necessarily stand up, you know, the way it worked was so funny in the 70s. I mean, you always liked watching comedy on TV because it was so rare in the 70s. If all of a sudden you saw a stand-up comedian on Ed Sullivan or in front of a brick wall on some show, you would just, you know, whether you're a fan or not, you would be so honed into that show. But by the 80s, there were so many goddamn comedy shows that if you saw a comedian stand in front of a brick wall, you could not change the channel quick enough. You know, it was such an overload, you know. But luckily, I, I didn't get to, you know, tune into that or join into any of that because I was on the Stern show. I, I wasn't even in the comedy trade. You know, when I went to Chicago, I would work the Chicago theater with maybe an opening act, but I wasn't in the comedy circuit where I'm traveling with two guys or going and meeting this guy and going to Zanies in Chicago and Zanies in Nashville. I mean, I did that for, you know, up until 1986. So I did that for like eight years. But once I bailed out of that, you know, oh, I was like it was heavenly. You know, you'd get flown first class and treated first class. And now I'm back to working in the crap holes for nothing. And, you know, it's it's really funny, you know, on the way up and on the way down. And it it still feels good. It's it's still it'll be, oh, aren't you sorry you left the show, you idiot, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I'm up there telling jokes and I realize I used to make, you know, a hundred times as much as I'm making right now for telling these jokes, but it's still the same rush when they're laughing. You know, people think that's bullshit, but if you're a comedian, you know, it's not, you know, it's so difficult now these days to follow comedians. Like I know who you are, obviously Lenny Bruce. Um, I know some of the new comics. I had a friend that did this for a while and 
I go to the belly room at um, the Comedy Factory in L.A. The Comedy Store. Yes, the Comedy Store. It was so depressing because I'm not there to be a comic. I'm just there to see my friend, right? Then you have these, I call them moths, model, actress, whatever, that stereotypical L.A. type girl you know, they get up there on stage and tell these jokes about rape and this and that. They kind of have that same voice like this. It's so freaking annoying. And it's just, I couldn't go to any more comedy shows. I'm like, these people are so generic. Then you have dick jokes from- It gets, it's, it, it, those, those girls get, it gets old so fast. Yeah. And, they, you know, not to be belittling, but they're probably really pretty girls that are so used to everybody falling down when they say anything. And all of a sudden, you know, the same thing used to happen with disc jockeys. When I started going on the road, these disc jockeys were so used to, you know, everybody they ever met, they could help. So if they met a guy with a car dealership, if they said hello, the guy would crack up laughing because if he mentions a guy's car dealership on the radio, it's going to make money. So these guys are so anxious, just like those models <coughs> to get up on the microphone and these you know, these guys, these this jockeys couldn't wait to get on the microphone and they couldn't wait to say fuck. And they get up on the mic and say, ladies and gentlemen, how you doing? How the fuck are you? And all of a sudden there's no laughter. And those guys appreciated comedians after that. And I'm sure the models, too, they used to. Well, of course, they're going to go up and they're going to do great. And they're going to talk about their life and they're going to be heroes. And they suck. I mean, I'm sure there was like one out of. 50 was any good, right? Something like that. I go that far. I mean, such boring, mundane lives. And the best part, I think the best line in LA ever from anyone, I've got an interesting life. It's like, really? What, what's so interesting? And I don't say anything about anything. Well, you know, I came out here from Minnesota to do gay porn. This is a conversation at freaking GNC for crying out loud. I'm like, yeah, that's real interesting. Wow. And you, you work at GNC. Interesting. Okay. Um, you know, I never tell people you don't if you've had an interesting life or you really are a badass, that is not your call to say that it's everyone else who said things about you. And that's the way I've always lived, whatever title or whatever bullshit anyone's ever said. Am I a bitch? Yeah, I'm a fucking bitch. But it's just it depends. It depends. You, you don't you don't leave with low. I'm cool. How are you? You know, you, you yeah, don't, you don't do that. that. You could say you're cool and you could say you're funny. Speaking of Lenny Bruce, did you ever have the chance to see Lenny Bruce or did he do a show with him? No, no. He's uh, he, listen. God damn you. I'm old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know, he he's he goes way back. I mean, I had a very old friend, a, a friend who was very old that I made uh, who communicated with me through the Stern show. And he was actually Lenny Bruce and one of, Le one of Lenny Bruce's friends. But Lenny Bruce and Rodney Dangerfield and Buddy Hackett, all those guys, they hung around together in like 1955. You know, Jesus Christ, I was in seven, I was in second grade, you know. <laughs> you, you could go to shows <laughs> with parental consent. <laughs> and like in Manhattan, I live on the east side, but it's like every Jewish woman over the age of like 35 is a fucking stand-up comic. Like my neighbor is a stand-up comic. Like the girl down the street. Oh, you got to come see my comedy show. No, I, I, I don't want to see your show. I'm just going to stay in. I don't want to hear your middle-aged, whatever crap it is you people yeah, And nowadays, everybody's doing shows in like a restaurant. Yes. And if you bring five people, you get up on stage. I mean, some of them, you know, you can't belittle it because some of them are so funny and so yeah. great. But, you know, it's... It, it's a it's a tough it's a tough thing and you can be really really great and it's still hard to crack into 
you know, you, you got to make the rounds and go on the radio shows and do this and do that. And, you know, it's as tough as it ever was, you know. But you yeah, know, there's so many, you know. But, well. you know, but if they're driven to do it, I, I would not, you know, look down at anybody because if they're trying to do it, they're trying to do it. You know, a lot of people try to do it twice and, and run home. You know, run for run home and pull the covers up over their heads. Those are tourists. <laughs> like I suffer from stage fright, but I have a one woman show that was doing very well. So I'm going to go back out again in um, March and a half. I have one. I have now, a day. Tell April. me about this. Where did you do it? In L.A. or New York? I did a few runs in L.A. Then I did Brea, California. I did New York. I did Chicago. And that was it. It's just called a weird kind of fame, but I wrote it myself. It's direct. It has a lot of AV in it, like from the nineties. So you get this younger audience, right? Like when I was at second city, I was taking improv for acting and I had no idea. Like I'm inviting all these kids that are like half my age who weren't around in that cool era to see the show. Then they learn about you, but they're still your friends after. But just when they see all the stern stuff and the Springer, wow, that's cool. Oh my God. What was he like? Maybe that's the kind of thing where it slowly seduces them into looking up all the old Stern videos online and these characters, who they are. I mean, it's it's something that sparks interest, but it's an hour long journey um, into my life. And then obviously it just has the high point of the one thing I was obviously known for. And then it just comes back down to modern day. But it's it's like basically an escape from something I created that I couldn't escape all the way in Scandinavia. Then it comes. Back I would I would I would love to see that now did you have videotape it Do you have videotape of it um i have like some clips but the shows in april i have adam bring you out for that i absolutely um, now do you know where you're gonna do it the uh, triad? triad or cut a uh, triad oh that's great uh, you know what i'm doing a show at the triad on may 4th you know i yeah. i don't i don't think i ever i've been there so many times i don't think i ever performed there but it's a great, great little room. You know, it's it's really intimate and really cool. Um, you know, I, I how many, you were on the show a lot of times, right? Yeah. You were on the show like four that times, five times. Yes, that was more than that. I counted it one day. It was like ten times. I counted every single appearance. Um, like even when we were doing Naked Twister, when we were doing uh when I had my ex come on the show, when I had the the vag the the pussy mole that I had, all that stuff. Like it's all I documented all of it as a um, you know, growing up. And you know, when I was married for like the short time I was, my ex didn't even want me putting on the fridge a photo I had with Stern. I'm like, why? I said, it's fucking Howard Stern. You're just jealous because you never met him. And this is why you were married. He didn't want you to put the picture, you know. No, no. Hey. Uh, yeah, well, no, he he was kicked to the curb not too long after that on um, on Thanksgiving. So, yeah. Where I don't need, where are you from? Me. Well, um, I grew up in the city. I grew up in New York. Oh, and then I came out to L.A. in like the 90s. Where am I from originally? I mean, I was born in a, like U.S. territory, but I lived in London for a while. And when you were a kid, is that like where you went to school? Where did you go to grammar school, like in London and Paris? Or yeah, to the Lycée Français, and then um, I came back, and then I went to uh, I went to the Montessori. I was in the Montessori school in London, the Lycée Français, the Lycée in New York, the Lycée in New York City. After then to Brooklyn Friends School. Wow! So you're a brilliant young woman. <laughs> young, thank you. Yes, brilliant. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I hope. Now I have never, I have never 
nobody ever believes me when I tell them, <clears throat> they say, oh, man, you guys had so much, uh, so many porn people on and so yeah. many actresses, blah, blah, blah. You must have been such a, a porn guy. <sighs> I never, and nobody ever believes this, and I don't care. I have never watched a porn movie in my life. I mean, I've looked at little snippets of, you know, the night in Paris and, and what's her face, uh, Kim Kardashian, Kim Kardashian. And, and Pam, you know, blowing Tommy, you know, everybody's seen snippets of that, you know, <clears throat> but as far as watching a porn movie, you know, I, I want to get laid, you know, I want to get a blow job. I don't want to watch somebody else doing it. And, and people just couldn't believe it. <clears throat> and meanwhile, people would send cases and cases and cases of DVDs of porn films to the show. And I'd always be carrying out cases of porn films and everybody thought that I was crazy, that I was some kind of porn pervert. I was taking the DVDs and giving them to the guys in the parking garage. I'll tell you, when I walked into that parking garage, they had my car ready every time. They took care of me. Oh. They cleaned my car. You know, I didn't that care about tip. porn. That was the tip, the movies? <laughs> yeah, they, well, I, I gave money, but I, you know, I just knew they'd get a kick out of it. But I never saw your your infamous film. Yeah, you know, I didn't even watch these movies when I was doing them because it's like <clears throat> you kind of like in the moment with shit like, OK, why am I here? What am I doing? OK, whatever. And like being on Stern was one of the greatest things ever. I have I do owe him a lot. And, you know, uh, for that, I, I and, you know, I wish I could get back on the show again. I know it's a totally different thing than what it was then, um, you know, with his serious programming. But it just. It was Have you ever tried? I wouldn't be surprised if they if they had you back on. I wouldn't even know how to get a hold of Gary, but I do watch Gary's apology tape like over and over and over because I know. Remember Gary's apology tape? Hello, hello, hello. Remember when that girl broke <coughs> up with him and he sent the tape to a girl? You that, don't remember you know, Gary? Oh, oh, of course. You know, it's one of my get me, You get you get three people. You get a good <laughs> friend. and You know, I know that, you know. Dude, he had, oh, a he had a mullet and he like burps in the middle of this apology tape to this girl, Nancy. It's like you just burp. You have a mullet and you're trying to like. Uh, get, uh, get and way. and it was it was not a bit. It was absolutely as heartfelt as it could be, which is what made it just such a gem. You know, just like when I apologized to my wife on the on the air, you know, it was absolutely sincere. And, you know, that's. That's unfortunately, that's what works, you know, they, but, uh, you know, you do what you do and, and the world be damned, you know, but, um, now, now when you came on, was it to sell to try and move uh, DVDs? Um, he just had me on to talk about me, who I was and like all the stuff I was going to, you know, doing the film. And then he wanted to bring me back on afterwards. And, you know, we kind of just took it from there. He just, I mean, maybe, I don't know what a lot of the other guests were like. But I was just kind of one of those people. If I say I'm going to show up, I show up. Um, you know, clearly I'm not on drugs. Uh, and I'm probably like, I try to be as well-spoken as I can um, on occasions. It just depends how many drinks I've had. But yeah, that's usually the key. The secret of my success of going back over and over. Uh, but it was a great show to be on. And um yeah, I don't even know how to get a hold of those people anymore, but it was it was fun. I still go down to the serious building in New York. I see Gary. I saw Gary maybe once briefly, like passing by, but I, it's not like how I could say hi to him or whatever. 
Well, <clears throat> somebody will hear about it. You know, somebody uh, better. But it's crazy just with the whole VHS tape because people argue with me that that's kind of like stalking, which I don't know if it's like stalking. If someone's sending you a VHS tape to make you watch them apologize to you, it's borderline something creepy. <laughs> it's not a stalker. So what else do yeah. you have going on? I know you said you were doing a documentary. Oh, I, I, I wrote my autobiography. Um, I would love to send it to you. I don't know if, you, if you're a reader or whether you'd be yes, interested. Yes. But uh, anybody that like the Cer likes the Stern Show and likes to laugh and likes showbiz autobiographies, I had, I had a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice run, a uh, pretty silly life. So my, And my autobiography did really well. You know, I mean, you're a marketer and you sell your stuff. A couple of, I don't know at this point how long ago, but a couple of years ago, I got a huge bump in sales. My autobiography got a huge bump and the publisher called me up and said, what show did you go on? What did you do? You just got a huge bump in sales. What happened is when my book came out, I think 2017, of course, Howard never mentioned it on the air or nobody even you know, breathed the word of it. Uh, the name of the book is Joke Man Bow to Stern which is a great title, and he never mentioned it. Then a couple of years ago, Howard put out a book, another book, I don't know, some kind of book about interviews or something. And if you've ever bought a book on Amazon, if you're buying the book just before you click to order, it says, people who have bought this book have also bought, and underneath there's my book, Gary's book, John's book, so they already have the mouse in their hand. They already have the credit card loaded. And just by clicking on me for another 15 bucks, they got my book. So all these zillions of people that bought Howard's new book, a, a certain percentage of them bought my book too. And all of a sudden for me, I, that was like a, a huge bump, you know, and like, you know, <laughs> I don't think to this day he has any idea that he helped me, <laughs> but it's great. And, you know. Do you still get a lot? Do you still talk to him at all or? Now, nah, you know, I, I sent him a happy birthday uh, email and he writes, you know, he writes back. We're cordial. It's, you know, if somebody said, how's your relationship with Jackie? He'd say, it's fine, but we don't really have a relationship as far as, you know, I don't see him. He doesn't see me. You know, it's not like, hey, Jackie, come on over to the Hamptons and let's hang out, you know. But um, I'm sure he's happy. Hold up in his little place, his little place, his huge yeah. place in the Hamptons. And, you know, he's he's living his life, you know. And, I mean, I, I, 20 years ago, he already had more money than he could ever spend. So it's not, you know, but I, <clears throat> people say, when's he going to retire? And I tell him the day that that guy dies, he will have been on the air that morning. I mean, that's what he does. He lives to do that. You know, he doesn't work. He doesn't work on the radio so we can have a life. He has a life so he can talk on the radio which I'm not sure is a bad thing. I mean, that's what he lives to do. You know, he, when he goes off the air, I'm sure that's all he thinks about is getting back on the air again. People yeah. tell me I'm crazy, but you know, I, I, I watched for 18 years. So I, you know, I got a somewhat idea what I'm talking about, you know, that gives him a purpose. I mean, I, I totally get that. You always think about the next thing you're doing. Speaking of which you have TikTok videos. I don't know how you have the patience for this. What's your TikTok? TikTok.com slash at Jackie Martling. I don't know why the ad is in there, but it's got to be in there. TikTok.com slash at Jackie Martling. One of my, one of my TikTok videos got 
like what it, at the you know I haven't looked lately, but it was at one point one million views. One point one million. You know, you don't get I don't get any money for it because it's not registered with them. I didn't know how to do that, and uh, and I was putting one up every day and then every other day, and now I you know I don't think I put up a new one for like a month or something because I'm waiting for my you know once my uh, documentary comes out. Then I'm going to put, I'm going to take all those jokes. I got like 300 jokes on there. Yeah, anybody can go there and watch all of them, one after the other. But I'm just going to repost all of them with a small ad for the documentary, you know. And uh, and people love to pass them around, you know. They, and you know, it's really funny, Jasmine. You can't be dirty, you know. So all my dirty jokes are clean, but they're not clean at all. When I first started doing it, what they don't, they don't, delete you, they mute what you're saying. So all of a sudden I did a joke <clears throat> and it was muted because it had the word masturbate in it, which is not inherently dirty. And then another joke, I got muted because it had the word dildo in it. I'm like, boy, they're, they're putting a pretty low bar on this, but I've never got muted since because I, I get so dirty without being dirty, I, the, the filthiest joke in the world slid right past them. You know, uh, the, the, the uh, girl says, um, I need to buy a dozen condoms. And the guy behind the, behind the counter says, oh, you don't want to have any kids, huh? She says, no, my boyfriend doesn't want to get any poop on his rocket. <laughs> yeah, they Which don't is want that's as filthy as it could be without saying a dirty word. So I guess the Chinese censors just went right over it. Yeah, you know? but then you can go on there and like confuse little kids. That's totally fine. Um, you know, I, I hope that, you know, well, th that's what you could do live. You could tell these jokes live without being censored by these um, communists. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, it's so difficult now with social media and it, it's such a, weird way to get out there it's something we didn't know back then what are your thoughts on a lot of the comics today and do you go and see a lot of comedy i don't i don't ever go um it's so funny people say who do you like of the new comics i said oh my favorite new comic is chris rock and he's been around for 30 years you know i just don't go but once in a while like you know i'll, I'll i'll be looking at tv and it's like bill burrell sit down on a talk show and the guy's so absolutely crazy hysterical funny you know I, I don't seek out any of these guys but um but i know they're great i still work like there's a guy who's been around as long as me lenny clark and i go up and work with him in boston and i'm still friends with like my my uh podcast is called stand up memories and it's me and a guy i started with 40 years ago and he started out you know paul reiser and jerry seinfeld and larry miller and all those guys at the comic strip and all we do is just, you know, so much happened in 40 years. The stories are never ending and it's so funny and so stupid. But I would, I don't go, like, it's funny. He has a comedy class that he teaches. And at the end of the class, after eight weeks, they all get up and they each have to do their five minutes. And I always go to his graduation ceremonies and, and sit through these guys. And they're not kids. They're old ladies or old guys or young people that are trying to do five minutes of comedy, they took a class. But that's that's as interesting as seeing a, a well-worn stand-up comedian because it's the same job. You're up there with a microphone. It is the same job. You're, you know, 
you're staring into, you know, hell, you know, it's, it's how, how different people handle it. And all you think about is when you first thought, um, I, you know, we all had such nightmares You know, I was bombing so bad to catch a rising star that you could hear a pin drop. And there was a guy from out of town with his family sitting in the front in the middle of my two minute act. He said to his wife, how much can we take? Um, I could still hear that fucking guy's voice. I could still hear. I, t- I told the story to Rick Newman on Catch a Rising Star, and it's his favorite story. He just, you know, that is the epitome of bombing. You know, I mean, not even you suck. Get off. It's like, you know, telling your wife how bad this guy is, you know. But it's interesting. It's never not interesting. Never not interesting. I, I can't tell you who to go see. I can't. I, you know, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't really, like I said, I don't follow it as much. I have a few friends I see every now and again, like Chrissy Mayer or Jason Rouse, but that's it. That's the extent of my, I'll go see you live when you do live. Now, did you ever encounter a comic named Mark Zacharin? I don't know that name, but I know Chrissy Mayer. I I, I was Let's friends see. with her when she was going out with, uh, with Pat Dixon. I don't think she was married, but she opened for me. Like her and Pat opened for me like, uh, five or 10 or 15 years ago, but now she's way, way deep into Trump territory. So I don't really see her talk to her much, but uh, I love her. She's just a really a great woman. And Pat, they're all great. They're just, you know, they, they went down a different path, you know, and um, it's funny. I'm going to Anthony Camille's show and, and, you know, they're all right wing, right wing guys, but I still like, I'm on the Mark Simone show every couple of weeks and he couldn't be, you know, he might as well be, have Trump living in his ass, but I go on his show and just tell filthy jokes with just like TikTok, filthy jokes without being filthy and have a great time. Cause me and Mark go back 40 years to when I was hosting shows at the bitter end, you know, back in the days when you talked about yeah. girls and pot and not uh, Donald Trump and the state of the world, you know, the back in the fun days, so, you know, you'd go out. <clears throat> I can't remember ever going out with my friends in the old days to, to chase girls or get drunk or anything. Politics never came up ever. Who gave a fuck? You know, it never should. It shouldn't. And like people forget to judge people and how the way they and how they treat you, not what they vote for. Yep. That's that's simple. That's simple. Each one on one, how I treat you. You know, that's always been my thing with everybody. Like if I like Harry and I like Charlie, but Charlie did something to Harry and they got a problem. I don't got a problem with that. You know, if you had a problem with everybody that had a problem with somebody you're friends with, you you know, let them work it out. I'm friends with you. I'm friends with you. I'll buy you lunch. You buy me lunch, you know. And then, you know, I don't even drink anymore, so we can't get drunk and gossip. I know. Like, that's like, what the hell? You don't have to be drunk and gossip. Just go into an acting class and just hang out outside afterwards because there's a, it's always some kind of hot gossip going on. Yeah. Backbiting 101. You know, that should be an acting class. Backbiting 101. No, uh, we were almost at the end of a class uh, like next week, but it's been a crazy like last three months. It is a student that was stalking a teacher, breaking into the school, trying to leave a gift, putting his photo all over next door on Facebook, looking for his address. So it was like, whew, it was. Um, now, now, what is this comedy class or acting class? No, I was taking a Meisner program. I took um, I took improv at Second City in the conservatory. I went to UCB, Groundlings. I graduated all those programs. I was at the Strasbourg Institute before. After Meisner, I'll probably go to Stellar Adler. Like, I like taking classes. It's fun. 
Yeah, my oh, my ex-wife uh, did did Meisner. Now, do you did did that in New York or did it in L.A. or? There's one school in L.A. that's accredited. It's John Ruskin, and um, I went to the neighborhood playhouse briefly, and then I just transferred over. But it's right around the corner from me in the city, and um, it's fun. It's interesting, which is some of the characters you meet in the class, and just to have that kind of drama happen was just <laughs> unreal. I'm like, are we really doing this? Like, do I just? I'm beside myself, but they give you these scenes. So the end of this term, my scene is with my scene partner and it's from Girl Interrupted. I've never even seen the movie and I'm not going to. I'm just going to, you know, do it how I do it. Not how you know, whoever. I took uh, three, three acting classes. I mean, three acting, not classes, but three acting, whatever they're called, runs, you know, 10 classes or 15 classes. And they, you know, the people were all fun and all interesting. They were all so much younger than me, but I had such a great time doing it because <clears throat> I gave it a shot. You know, I, I did little parts in a bunch of movies and I really was hoping I was going to get somewhere, but I, I got nowhere. I shot a movie yesterday on Staten Island. It was, I, ah, you know, I had to clean myself with a wire brush afterwards, but you know what, you, while you clean yourself with the wire brush, you're still smiling because it was still fun. But those acting classes were great. But the amount of drama, and I'm not talking about acting drama, the, the inner inner drama between the, the kids or the people, it's just amazing how it festers. Not not all bad, good, bad, you know, it's it, it the actors or people trying to be actors or comics or people trying to be comics, they're just different. They they have, you know, they've got that wild hair up their ass. Or else they wouldn't be there, you know. So that's they're not starting from you know, accounting one hundred and one. You know, they're starting out out of their fucking minds one hundred and one. You know what I'm talking? And that includes you. <laughs> I get that. I admit I'm the first person to say I'm more all stick in the head. I'm one of them. Plus, I do pro wrestling <laughs> like once a month. You know, last month I was thrown over a barbed wire rope. So yeah, we're all fucking the head. I'm one of them. Now oh. wait, now wait. I've been meaning to ask you. Yes. What is, you know, I, I, when I was a kid <clears throat> in the fifties, my parents were out getting drunk every weekend night. So I'd be sitting there in my big comfortable chair, three feet from the television. And I'd watch four hours from Sunnyside gardens and four hours from Madison square, square garden and four hours from Comac arena. And this is way back in the days of pro wrestling with yeah. Haystacks Calhoun and happy Humphrey and the Graham brothers and the midgets and killer kowalski and these guys and i would watch it and watch it and watch it for hours and then one day i don't know how old i was <clears throat> at some point a guy leaped off the turnbuckle from six feet up and came down on another guy's head with his knee and then the guy just got up and kept fighting and i said you know what <laughs> this is bullshit and i never well, watched it again it's quite then you then you realize it's really talented acting and it once you once you do that you come you go out that door and come back in the door of of it's a show you know what i mean then you know it's you know it's 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 choreographed and it's just you go to school to learn how to do all these things like i, I took classes before so it's like You'll always learn how to do these things. Plus, it's trusting someone else. And I'm a small person. So just to get picked up and thrown is obviously nothing. 
you know, um, someone caught me on the other side and then I get my weight, like push them back. So it was, it was pretty simple. How, uh, how tall are you? I have no idea. How tall five, are you? Seven. <clears throat> so you're not little. Jesus Christ. I'm five, yeah, but I'm seven. 108 pounds, 110, like right in that thing. But, you know, these are guys that pick up three, 400 pound guys too. So, I mean, picking me up is probably, you know, not the worst thing. It's probably like picking up whatever, a pillow or something. If they make pillows so- how do I get to see you wrestle? Is that ever on television or it's on yeah. cable? So I were done um, XPW. We were on fight. And now we have our own streaming service, which is way better. I'll send you a link. Um, but we have also XPW TV on YouTube, which I'll send you. And, uh, you know, we have shows. To wait. In- now, what is X- XP what? XPW Extreme Pro Wrestling. Extreme Pro Wrestling. Extreme yeah, yeah. meaning wilder or neuter or sexier or well it has it's just sexy there's blood there's like death matches there's um regular collegiate style matches we have a show in new jersey in march um we don't have them in new york yet but we have uh you know i do a lot of signings and stuff like i'll always do appearances you probably get booked on appearances right <clears throat> not that you know not as many as i'd like okay <clears throat> because the ones i did you know, I sat next to the first Playboy bunny ever, and I sat next to Richard Kyle Jaws. Remember Jaws from James Bond, the guy that bit the cable, and oh, Mark guy? and uh, and Marky uh, Marky from the Ramones. The last I did a signing like six months ago, and I sat next to. I, did you ever watch Seinfeld? Yep, all the time. Elaine's boss from Seinfeld, oh. Mister. And not Mr. Pitt, the other guy, the guy, yeah. that, the explorer guy. And he, in real life, he's that guy. I could, I thought he was putting me on. I mean, he's a really swell, sweet, wonderful guy. Well, how? It's nice to meet you. How are you? You know, I'm like, gee, you're kidding. You know, what's his name, Mr. Mr. Bluster? I don't know. Oh, I they, by, the, by uh, Welcome Back Carter before, the horse, horse shock and those guys. Oh, that's great. Great fun. Great fun. Man. But maybe you'll get more signings and hopefully, you know, to promote your uh, to promote your documentary when it's out. And obviously you have a book, which I think everyone should get when they get it, when they kind of go on Amazon, you should buy it. It's a joke man about a stern. So no, wait, think- let, let me explain. Yes. <clears throat> it's called the joke man about a stern. But you have to put the joke man first. Because okay. if you if you Google bow to stern, you get a seventh grade sailing manual. <laughs> I swear to God. So you got to the joke, man, bow to stern. And that, the reviews, you can you could go on Amazon, and see the reviews. Like, you know, yeah, of course, there's a couple of stern people. Oh, why is it written in Chinese? Or Jackie wrote this with his head up his ass. You know, the, you know, the stern haters. But I don't have to tell you about them, you know. God. Yeah, but for the most part, people are surprised. They're like, wow, who knew this guy could write a book? You know, that's so crazy. Yeah, I got to put in. Yeah, the joke man about a stern. So that is a and you got to you got to send me your address so I can send you a book. Yes. And I will, I will definitely read the book, folks, and let you know about it, because a good read is a good read. And I always leave reviews, by the way, on Amazon when I can. So absolutely. And his podcast, Stand Up Memories podcast and for those of you who are on TikTok, you always got to put that annoying Jack. So Jackie Martling, which I'll put the um, your socials at the end of the interview. 
Uh, that's interesting. I mean, you've adapted pretty well to social media. I can't do TikTok, so hats off to you for that one. <laughs> well, uh, you know what? <clears throat> Starting in like 2012 until, I don't know, maybe six months ago, I tweeted a joke. I put a new joke on Twitter every day for at least at least 10 years. And, you know, people, they loved it because it was like clockwork. Every day at 420, of course, marijuana time. I, you know, I had a program that loaded it up automatically. And, you know, there was a filthy joke every day at 420. In the beginning, it had to be 140 characters, which was such a challenge to get a goddamn joke into 100. And then they made it 280 characters, which is real, really still a very small amount. But I got so I could really make it so concise. It was uh, it was really fun. It was like it was only almost like a math problem to get all that information into that small space. So it was fun. Twitter is crazy. Are you on Twitter? <clears throat> yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm Jackie Marling on Twitter, and uh, I don't do. You know, I post my gigs there, and I post something fun. You know, I'm friends with Willie Nelson, and he just won the Grammy for Best yeah. Country Album. So, I, you know, that's the kind of stuff I retweet. You know, I used to do Gilbert Godfrey's podcast, and I would tweet that out. You know, you know, the, just stuff that happens. You know, and in the in the pin tweet, I always have, like right now, I have, uh, I have March fourth. I'm at the Suffolk Theater with my podcast partner Peter Bale. So that's my pin tweet, and then and then. <clears throat> I'm sure you do, you do cameo.com. Yes, I'm sure you're on cameo. That was my next question. Do you have cameo? Because people would probably love to buy a joke from you for their friends. Well, I uh, that in fact, I think I, I usually pin that like a week or two before Valentine's Day or Christmas or whatever. And yeah, I get a ton of those. I don't charge. I only charge 75 bucks. But people like every review I get is five star because somebody says, uh, uh, my husband, um, you know, he he loves uh, he loves uh, dwarf jokes, or my husband loves uh, shit jokes, or you know, blah blah blah, whatever they want. You know, this is my this is for my mother in law. She's a piece of shit. You know, tell her that she's ugly. You know, whatever they ask me to do, I just do it. And and you know, I always make sure it's in fun. You know, and it, it's they come in. You know, <clears throat> I'll get five in a day. But then I'll go three days where I get none, you know, and then all of a sudden you get two. And then all of a sudden for a week, you know, you know, they they come in very randomly. But right around Valentine's Day, you know, because the world is so boring now. There's, you know, how many times can you send flowers and say, I love you? If you've been with the same person for 20 years, it's time for a dick joke. You know, it really yeah, is time, time for a dick joke or like a rape joke or something cool like that. You know, <laughs> but you got to do something to keep it spicy. So. Yeah, go ahead and buy. You don't want to buy. Yeah, you could buy a dick joke. You could buy any type of joke for Jackie Marlin on Cameo. And this comes out, you know, right after Valentine's Day. But still, you could still get them for Easter, an Easter gift instead of a bunny. There's nothing like a good Easter joke. <laughs> so you got uh, March 4th coming up. What else do we have after March 4th? <clears throat> uh, March 24th, I'm at the American Hotel in Freehold, New Jersey. It's the, they're just introducing comedy there. My friend Dino from Uncle Vinny's Comedy Club down in Point Pleasant mm -hmm. is producing shows at the American Hotel in Freehold. And then, like I said, May 4th, uh, I'm going to be at the Triad. And 
Uh, wait a minute. No, May 6th. May 4th, I'm at the Triad. And May 6th. Oh, and May 6th, I'm at the brokerage, like my home club uh, down in Delmore on Long Island. And, I, and I'm always on the Mark Simone show, and I'm always on WBAB. And if, yeah, Mark Simone, I like, he has so many zillions of listeners. It's funny, I always promote the local seafood place. I always throw them a plug. So they always give me my seafood for free or half price. That's and I go, good. oh, here's a, here's a joke for the guys at, at Bayville Seafood. And they get such a kick out of it. And it's so stupid because it's just the old thing of, you know, throwing in plugs on a, on a radio show or a television show. It never, you know that. It never gets it never old. Gets old. People always <laughs> like it. Trust me. I, I totally get it. But thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I want to see you wrestle. You oh, oh, yes. So know, the I old joke, I never saw you wrestle, but I'd love to see you box. Box? I <laughs> yeah, got a joke. I got my joke. I got my $75 worth. So I didn't even have to pay for it. You can get, better. You can get jokes like this sent to the one you love. You could even get breakup jokes or you can curse your boss off. Whatever you want. Jackie Marlin has it covered on Cameo. Uh, thanks for joining us today. And I will be putting up all your socials and uh, let's stay in touch. I would love to stay in touch. Send me your address or some address where I can send the book to. And now I've got your, uh, your email and your phone number and everything. So you're in trouble. Oh God, all the jokes. Join the ride on my crazy train. Woo! Please make sure to rate and review Crazy Train Podcast. Take a screenshot, send it to me in a DM via Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and I will send you a free goodie bag. Oh, and Crazy Train Podcast is now on YouTube. So subscribe, Crazy Train Podcast, that's with a K, on YouTube for video interviews and never heard before interviews and some really cool bonus content. Woo!